Well, good afternoon, everybody. Good to see you all. Well done for making out of the bed, I guess. Daylight saving time. Uh, I said in the first service yesterday, we had a couple of people. We had our core values day, so that's for uh, people that want to join the church and just looking in. If you haven't been through that, I really recommend it. Uh, some of them turned up at nine. It starts at ten. Some of them turned up, turned up at nine yesterday, and uh, I just, you know, told them it's practice for today. Getting out of bed an hour early, it's always a bit joyful. <laughs> we went to bed early last night just to make sure. I'm like, ah, so it's good. Uh, what a testimony, Colleen. Jesus is incredible. The Father's love meets us where we are at. And he just loves to pour out his heart upon us. And even, you know, just in worship as well, the Ian song, you know, his love is all that we need. Thank you, team, for leading us so beautifully today. Um, so we're in a sermon series, uh, Duncan started this last week on the life of Joseph. We're actually uh, titled the sermon series Transformers. Um, he's a robot in disguise, he's not a robot in disguise. Um, yeah, that, that joke got about as much laughter in the last one as this, in this service as well. I should probably retire it. Uh, or maybe if I keep going, you might laugh at some point, just out of sympathy. Um, so we're talking about Joseph, and, and um, Duncan kicked it off last week, talking about Joseph as being a dreamer, and who is the centerpiece of your dreams, is the question that he asked last week. Who is the centerpiece of your dreams? And Joseph thought that his dream was all about himself, but God, it, but actually he, his dream fit in with God's overall, overarching perspective on uh, and his plan and his purpose for Joseph's life, right? And that's one of the things I, I love about the prophetic, is that we, it, it, you know, God's outside of time. So when we receive a prophetic word, what he's doing is he's showing us what we're like, what, we're gonna, what he's put in us, just both in terms of our, our identity and our calling. And, it, and it's way down the track often from where we are. And we, you know, we receive it down here. And the prophetic word, basically, it gives us a glimpse of, of, of our identity and our, and our calling. And it's a beautiful and it's a powerful thing. But it's always so much bigger than us individuals. And so um, I want to take a little moment to have a look at that. Um, let's start in Psalm 105. Psalm 105 has a great description of, of the life of, of Joseph. If, you, if you're not familiar with the Bible, if you're not familiar with um, uh, the story of Joseph, let me give you a quick synopsis. Joseph was the son of Jacob, who's one of the patriarchs of ancient Israel and uh, of Israel. And he, um, he was a bit of a daddy's boy. He was loved by his dad. His dad gave him a lovely technicolored, multicolored coat. Uh, and his brothers were jealous, sold him into slavery. He uh, went to Egypt as a slave, uh, worked for a captain of the guard called Potiphar. Um, we'll come to a little bit of the story today. Had some challenges, found himself in prison, languishing in prison, and then he came into um, rulership with Potiphar and basically became number two of all of, um, of Egypt. And so first point I want to focus on is God's dream for us and the big picture that God has for us. Uh, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about the tension that that brings, the glorious squeeze that the Holy Spirit leads us into uh, once we receive prophetic word and once we get that, you know, that sense of calling and what he's doing in our lives. So uh, Psalm 105, let's start at verse 16. Uh, when he, it's God, when God summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them 
Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Yea. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. So here's the backstory to, to Joseph's dream. God knows that there's a famine coming. In, and he's sending a famine upon the land. He's breaking supply of bread. He knows that he, you know, his big picture is that there's that famine coming. And so what does he do? He puts a dream in Joseph's heart. Joseph has his dream of his family, his brothers bowing down to him, and his uh, parents and brothers bowing down to him. And he has this dream. But what he doesn't understand is that there's a pharaoh in his dream and his dream is about to lead him into a place called Egypt into a land of difficulty and challenge for him and and so God's because God's perspective is there's a famine coming I need to I want to provide for my children the Israelites Jacob and all his offspring so what does he do it says he sends a man ahead of him and so our our dreams carry with it our prophetic purpose, yours and my life, carry with it a kingdom assignment. Every single one of us have an assignment in the kingdom, right? So it's not just me and my little life, the purpose that God has for you, God has purpose out of your union with Christ Jesus. His purpose is to bless you and not just to bless you, but to cause all the people that are around you to be blessed. You see, Abraham, who was Jacob, uh, Joseph's great-great-grandfather, had this prophetic word, this promise, this declaration from the Father. Right at the very beginning when God started to first meet with him, he says to the promise of the Father to Abraham was... Uh, I will bless you, and through you, all of the nations will be blessed. And so Joseph steps into this prophetic heritage, this, this truth, and, and God's desire is that through his people, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So what's happening? He sends a, he's going to send a famine. He wants people to be taken care of. He needs somebody that understands how to manage and how to respond and how to live in the supernatural dimension of, the Holy, of, of God. And so what does he do? He sends Jacob. Uh, Joseph, I should say, sorry. His purpose and his plan was that, that through Joseph, the whole world that was in famine would be blessed. You have that same calling upon your life. The, the calling of the Father is that, 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 that he would pour out favor, and we'll look at that in a minute, but he would pour out favor and blessing upon you because you're now in Christ Jesus. And actually, Galatians chapter 3 says that now that, that, that we are, because um, that the blessing of Abraham has come to us by the promise of the Holy Spirit who we've now received. So because you have the Holy Spirit, we, you now have the inheritance of Abraham, the promise of the Father to Abraham. Through you, all the nations will be blessed. And so through your life, your neighborhood, your job, your, 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 your friends, your school, uh, God's purpose is to pour out his blessing upon you to, such to the extent that all those around you live in the favor that you carry. Now that's good news. That's a great glorious thing. Your life isn't just about you. My life isn't about me. My life and your life is about the big purposes of God that started way before us and will carry on way after, will carry on going through all through our lives, right? And so he, he has a purpose. He sends a man and you can think, great, good on you, Lord. That's really kind of you. But here's the challenge. The man that he sends has a little bit of a challenge, He's sold as a slave, the Bible says. 
Joseph sold as a slave. His feet were put in fetters and his neck, his feet. Why am I holding my neck when I say feet? That's just so weird. I'm sorry. His feet. <laughs> His feet were put in, in, in fetters and his neck was put in a collar of iron. I, I did a little Google search. It, I, uh, they estimate it would be around 280 to 300 miles from where Joseph was thrown into captivity and betrayed by his brothers down to Egypt. So he's, he's not flying on a plane. He's not riding on a camel. He's walking, no doubt, right? He's a slave. So he's been sold into slavery and he's walking in 300 miles of having things, you know, bondage basically, trapped in bondage for 300 miles. It doesn't sound like a picnic. It doesn't sound like a, oh, yay, God, pick me. Yeah, I want to be full. I want to fulfill your purposes. Yeah, yeah, please pick me. And then all of a sudden find yourself in, major difficulty and challenge. But that's what he found himself in, not just the physical pain. I mean, I can't imagine walking 300 miles in bondage and change, but think about all the emotional pain that went with that. Think about the fact that he'd been betrayed by his brothers, that he had been, uh, you know, he was a betrayed, he was alone, he was rejected, he was abandoned, he had a loss of relationship, he lost his family, he had no sense of comfort, he went from being a daddy's boy to being a nobody to being a slave, he lost his freedom. I could imagine if I was David, I'd be full of self-pity, David, Joseph, Jesus, help me. <laughs> and uh, I would be, I'd, you know, I'd probably be a victim. Well, where's my multicolored coat now? Where are you, Lord? Why, are you, why am I here? What's going on in my life? Why? How many times have you had a prophetic word and then all of a sudden your life goes sideways? And, you know, so he's hot, he's tired, he's miserable, he's full of pain, he's full of emotions. No doubt, churning over and over and over in his mind, how on earth could his brothers do this to me? Lord, why me? What is this promise of Abraham? Well, I'm going to be a blessing. What on earth are you doing? And, I, you know, it would be very understandable for each one of us to get through and get into a very dark place because of what had happened, right? And I... 1, one uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, it says this, don't despise prophecy, don't, dis don't quench the Holy Spirit, don't despise prophecy, test all prophecy, something like that, right? Test all prophecy, and there's a, there's a dimension that we are called when we receive a prophetic word uh, and we have a, or we have a dream, we're required to test that, is it from God or not? If it's from God, we say, yes, it is, we agree with it. So we test it. The good news is for all the rest of, you know, for all of us, is when we test the word, once we've tested the word and we agree that it's from God, the word tests us. And that's the joyful part, right? And so it says here uh, in verse 19, talking about uh, Joseph, until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Now, who said that? Is it talking about God or is it talking about Joseph? I think it's probably both because Joseph himself has just articulated to all his family, this is what God's going to do. Ta -da -da! This is who I am. You're going to bow to me. I think he probably had a few pride issues that the Holy Spirit needed to deal with, among other things. And so he comes into this place where he's then tested by the word of the Lord. And what does that testing look like? Well, that testing looks like his life going sideways, and so let's turn to Genesis chapter 31, uh, 39. And um, we, we haven't got time to read through all of it. I'm just going to pull out some highlights, but you can read through the story yourself. 
But here's, here's what happens. When every time we get a prophetic word, it's preloaded with all you need for character development. It's preloaded for all the training that you need. When you receive a prophetic word and you look at it and you see that your life is here and the word is calling you there, you know you're about to go through a season where the Lord is going to test that word. And it's going to test you. It's going to test your attitudes. It's going to test your mindset. It's going to test your perseverance. It's going to test your faith. It's going to test your hope. It's going to test everything, particularly if it's a really big word. I think the bigger the word, the more there is of a test. And, and it tests us, and it's, our, and it's up to us as to how we respond to that. And so I want to just pull out a few things out of the life uh, of Joseph. So, you know, he goes down to Egypt. It starts in, in 39 verse 1. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. It's kind of like a, a nice little pass. Yeah, he brought him down. But I just want to reiterate, he didn't catch a plane. He walked 300 miles as a slave. He became a slave. He comes into this place of slavery with Potiphar. Uh, and he's now, you know, where does he start? He probably, as a new slave, starts at the very bottom. Has to start to work his way up, moves from freedom back and comes into slavery. Has to work himself up and, and develop into somebody that then the, the, the Potiphar then sees. And so you, get, you go through in verse 2 and verse 3 down to verse 6. Basically what that happens is that the Lord is with him that his, and um, that he becomes a successful man and his master sees that the Lord's with him and he basically puts him in charge of everything because everything that Joseph touches, God causes to prosper. How many of you would like that anointing? I want that in my job. I want that for you in your job, that everything that God calls you to, everything that you touch, you carry the favor of God and you cause the, the prosperity and the success of people around you. So that happens, right? So he's left in charge and, and, and God brings him into that point. And the purpose of him being in that season is as a slave is because, and Duncan, I think we'll touch on this much more next week. But what God's doing in that place is he's training him for what's to come. It just doesn't look like training. It's boot camp, but it doesn't look like boot camp. It looks like I'm a slave. And there would, if you don't have eyes to see the situation that God has put you in, it would be very, very easy to get bent out of shape and get angry and actually the Holy Spirit is asking us to deal with the issues of our heart all right and Joseph it doesn't say this but I'm sure Joseph went through a process of having to deal with the pain and the rejection and the abandonment uh, to be able to step into all that God had for him but this is a place of training Psalm uh, chapter 18 round about verse 34 35 somewhere in there it says the, you know, David says that the Lord trains my hands for war this is David's training. This is David's training for war. He's, a, he's going to become, go into the palace, but his training looks like being a slave and being a nothing and a nobody and being in bondage. And so, but, he's, but he's living with the favor of the Lord, so, the God, so God blesses him. Now, he's a good-looking chap. He's very handsome, the Bible says. And so Potiphar's wife, it's not soon before she starts to put her, cast her eye on him and sees how handsome and lovely he is. And so she wants to come and you know, seduce him, basically. And, he's, and she's saying, lie with me. And he's, she's constantly at it, lie with me, lie with me. And Joseph is like, no, there's no way I'm doing that. My master loves you, know, you, you're his, I'm not gonna do that. And, and he makes a stand for righteousness. And he doesn't sleep with her, 
but she accuses him. She seizes the opportunity when she, uh, when, he, when she grabs hold of him and he runs away and she's got his coat and she accuses him to her master of making advances on him and trying to have his way with her and the master gets really, really angry and you can see that part of the story from uh, 7 through to uh, around about verse 20, uh, 19 and the, and the master is so angry with him that he throws him in the dungeon. It's the king's prison. That would be maximum security jail. It's not a nice, pretty part. He's gone from bad to worse. You know, sometimes making a stand for righteousness actually makes it seem like we're taking a step backwards. I remember a, a season in my, in my uh, working life as I worked for an accounting company. We were doing these large um, projects and we were basically in charge of pe- people would do closed bids for a, like a, bil- a billion dollar rail project and there would be companies that would do closed bids and we would get the bid to, you know, to win the work and we would analyze it and then we would give them some information to the client, the, the government department. And there was one moment where I sent someone else's e- uh, competitive details about their business to, a comp- to, to one of their competitors. And I sent an email, and I sent them all of their business details, like all of their profit and loss account, all of the, the, the way that they'd got their projects, and, and you know, how much, and, you know, and there's that moment, right? Gulp. What do you do? Do you make a, do you just hope that it goes away? And hope, you know, call up the guy and say, uh, I sent you the wrong thing, please cover it up and then don't tell anybody? Or do you face up to the mistake that you've made? And I, ha- and I had to face up to my boss and had auditors from the state coming and looking and what had happened and, you know, and, and it, with a very real possibility of losing my job. Sometimes making a stand, now I didn't, thank you Jesus, and they were very understanding. But sometimes making a stand for righteousness actually causes you to feel like you're taking a step back. Certainly for Joseph, he took a stand for righteousness and he found himself going from bad to worse because now he's in the jail. He's in prison. He's in darkness. He doesn't even have natural daylight. He's in darkness and he's in prison. Wrongly accused. So now not only has he been sold to slavery, has he been rejected, but now he's also been wrongly accused, falsely accused, and falsely imprisoned. And he's there. I can imagine if I was David, Joseph, hello. If I was him sitting in the prison, I could also be thinking, Lord, you said the, the blessing of Abraham was upon me that I was going to be a blessing. Where is that? And he's, but what's happening in the prison? What's happening in the prison, he's, he's getting trained. His hands are being trained for war. What God's teaching him is actually be faithful with the little. Live in the moment. Live in what God's doing for you in the moment, in the right now. Don't look off to the future and hope that something would happen, but live in the moment and experience and allow God to do everything that he wants you to do in that moment for you there share a story from my own life about how this has worked. Um, when I uh, was at university, I had felt, uh, Ash and I had felt this call to full-time Christian ministry. Uh, I had, you know, uh, just before we got married, the Holy Spirit fell in Toronto and the people, uh, our pastors had gone to the church, to Toronto and come back and the Holy Spirit was really moving powerfully and, and I, I had this sense of a, a call to full-time Christian ministry and Ash and I got married in my, uh, before my final year of university and we were pregnant with uh, our first daughter Hannah at the, um, when I was graduating from university and so I, I, had a, I was like, I want to become a full-time Christian minister, minister um, thinking that that was the be-all and end-all of my, of, of my existence and that was the best way I could serve God. 
I mean, I had a call, but I had a to- totally warped perspective on what that was. And, I, and, and so my pastor said to me, well, you know, what would be really good would be for you to go and get a job. No, I want to be a full-time Christian minister, but okay. He says, you know, you're having a baby. You can't just go off and do whatever you like. You've got to take responsibilities. No, okay. I was having so much fun at the moment. Now I've got to live with it, you know. And, um, and, uh, and um, so he said to me, hey, listen, I think you should become an accountant. I'm like, what? After I, you know, thought to myself, what does he think, I'm super boring, I'm dull, what's the deal with that? You know, what's wrong with me that he thinks I should become an accountant? I looked into it and I thought, ah, yeah, I could do that. And I thought to myself, yeah, I'll become an accountant. So I applied for the job. There was one position. I was late in all of the interview process. There was one position, one interview. I got the job. I ended up working for that company for 15 years. But, for the, but, but, but. My plan when I got the job was, well, this is all about me really get, earning some money and, and, my, and I've got a five-year plan. And my five-year plan is that in five years, well, it was actually four years' time by this point because I've been married for a, a, a year. My five-year plan, four-year plan that's left is in that time, I'm going to become a full-time Christian minister. Yes! So, you know, not knowing what I was fully signing up to, I became an accountant. I was like working 40, 50 hours a week with traveling around, you know, an hour radius around the, the place. Being the, the nobody and the nothing, earning very little money and, and having to learn, uh, study and work full time. So working 40 to 50 hours a week with travel, studying 10 to 15 hours a week, young baby, Hannah, and then Izzy. And then just after I qualified, Lucy came along and let's say it felt fairly miserable. I mean, I love my wife, I love my family. You know, don't get me wrong about that. They're amazing. And I I was having a great time with my family, but I'm thinking to myself, I'm living in this tension of God, you called me and now I'm just doing all these things and I'm having to learn about accounting and debits and credits and I don't really know what I'm doing and it's really hard. But it's okay because I've got a four-year plan, a three-year plan, a two-year plan, a one-year plan. Oh, this time next year, we'll be there. But of course, I get to the end of my five-year plan and there's no... Opportunities opened up for full-time Christian ministry. And so I decide that I need another five-year plan. Okay, in five years' time, I'm going to be... I just got my timing wrong. But in five years' time, I'm going to be in full-time Christian ministry. And and as we were going in the church that we were part of, um, there were some challenges with the leadership. The the three leaders sort of uh, got out of relationship with each other. So Ash and I and another couple were invited to come in and and be part of of the um, the leadership team to help sort it out. So I'm like, oh, I'm almost there. But if I could only get rid of this job, I'm just about there. You know, and and I'm traveling around the country even more at that point and um, working on big projects. And then my moment came. The Holy Spirit spoke to us and he said, I want you to go and plant a church in Australia. So we're like, yes, we're going to go. This is my moment, baby. So we go off and just before we go off, we were part of another movement of churches. And um, just before we go, one of the leaders of the movement in the UK said publicly, Murray and Ash, they're one of the premier couples in the movement. And I'm like, yeah, baby, that's me. You're right, it's true. And I, we went to sort of share about our things that we were doing around this, uh, you know, into this young adult thing that felt like 400 people, probably only about 20. But, you know, for me, with my ego, it was like, yes, we're off, we're going, we're going to do it. You know, we arrive in Australia. Um, I got to go to Christchurch, New Zealand to have a pastor's retreat. Um, Ash wasn't able to come because finances and also the movement that we were part of didn't believe in female ministry. So, you know, we 
There we go. Anyway, so I went thinking I'm great and I'm flying off over, uh, you know, leaving Melbourne and I'm flying out with it as this newfound church planting genius and I'm looking out across the country and I'm thinking one day there will be 200 churches that I am the apostle of because I've got an apostolic call and I've got what it takes, baby. And so, you know, I'm there. We're 11 months into our church plant. The two couples that we have, there's an Australian couple that aren't really getting on very well with each other at the time. There was an English couple that don't like the Australian couple. They live an hour away. The other guys live 20 minutes away. And we're in a dream scenario where the whole thing's falling apart. Did I mention I was also working 40 to 50 hours a week? And I'm like, this church planting thing is a nightmare. So we closed it up. That was the end of it. (laughs) Dreams dashed on the rocks. But then... Thank you, Jesus. There was a church in Sydney that was like, yeah, come on, we can come and be part of us. We, they've just joined the movement. We want you to come and be part of us. And when you come, we'll make you a pastor. Ah, we're coming. Woo! You just said the magic word. So we go up there. Now I'm, you know, more responsibility. And I, the first year of my year, my, my year in Sydney was absolutely diabolical because I had learned all these terrible habits. It wasn't safe to say about me that everything that I put my hand to prospered because I was just actually had developed this whole sort of slapdash approach. And I went through a year of absolute squeeze where I hated my job and actually ended up taking a four-month sabbatical because I was a wreck, because I was, came face-to-face with all of my uh, poor skills, uh, having thought that I was the be-all and end-all, came face-to-face with my shortcomings. Anyway, and so that was the work context. And then the church context, the pastorship never, never appeared. And then some people in the, in the circle were saying, well, actually, I don't know that you're really ever called to be a pastor. <laughs> Dreams. But in the meantime, the Lord's favoring me. The Lord's giving me favor at work. I'm, I'm starting to realize, actually, my be-all and end-all of my, of my life is not full-time Christian ministry per se, because I'm already in full-time Christian ministry at my job. And so I'm beginning to work through, and, with, you know, and having conversations and, and with my, myself, learning how to steward what God's given me, and then learning how to be a blessing to the people around me. So praying in things like, praying, like, praying for contracts to come in. We've got no work in, in three weeks' time. Okay, so I'm praying it in, able to share with my boss, this is what God did. You know, and I'm learning that actually my life, in the, my, that I am in that full-time Christian ministry. And I'd got to the point where after three five-year plans, I thought to myself, and I said to myself and to Ash, okay, my five-year plan is out the window. I'm actually going to be an accountant for the rest of my life. And I had to come to that point. I remember going to England in, 26, in 2006 and telling all my friends from my old church that uh, I was going to be an accountant for the rest of my life. And they all rebuked me. How dare you? There's a call of God on your life. What do you mean? Come on, sort yourself out. You're the blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but I knew in my heart that I had to get to a point where I had died to my ambition. I thought I'd reached that, but I hadn't. So a few, you know, uh, 2007, 2008, well, 2007, Duncan and Kate uh, come to Australia on vacation, invite us to come here. Um, uh, They were planning this church in 2008. And so we were like thinking it through and and praying about it and, um, you know, just looking at a range of options and ended up with like seven or eight different options, which is in and itself is a challenge and couldn't get into the country because of visa and like, God, what are you doing? And it's this squeeze, it's the narrow place. Psalm 4 verse 1, you can, you can translate it. it. Most translations will say something like, you relieve me in my distress. But you can also translate Psalm 4 verse 1 as you enlarge me in the narrow place. Yeah. 
So not only is God training our hands for war, part of what he's doing is he's using the narrow place to actually expand us. It just doesn't feel very good. I don't like being squeezed because when I get squeezed, I get to see what comes out of me and what comes out of me stinks. Bad attitudes, anger, unbelief. And so there was this one moment probably in 2008 where we had um, uh, the region and the church network was growing and so there were some people in the network that I had been their sort of leader and then they'd gone to another church, another country. That we, I'd been their leader in England and then they'd moved on and I thought I was way ahead of them but their church was thriving and my church plant had died and I was an, just as an accountant and my, my pastor would say, you know, when they had regional gatherings in, in Sydney, he would say, hey, I want you to come. And then for some reason or another, I would never be able to come. And, and so there was, I remember distinctly a moment. I'd been to Toronto for the leader's school. So I was beginning to learn about the father's love and the father's heart. And I remember distinctly at this moment where um, I'm like, we're all gathered together. I've shared this story uh, a, lot, a while ago. So if you've heard it, forgive me to repeat it again. But we're all gathered together. All the church you know, the leaders, even the people that I was leading before who are now you know, leading in this movement that I wasn't now being able to be part of. And I remember thinking to myself, right, I'm going to give them the very best prophetic word they have ever experienced. I am going to blow their faces off. <laughs> and they are going to fall down on their knees and say, Murray, we are so sorry. Why have we not had you here all weekend? You could have added so much value. Can we run the whole thing again so that we can have you, please? <laughs> Such unbelievable pride and ridiculousness. And I just remember in that place, and I'm winding myself, you know, I'm worshiping, yeah, but on the, you know, looking spiritual, but on the inside, I'm getting myself ready. I'm stirring myself up for the prophetic words of all prophetic words, right? And I hear the Holy Spirit cough. <clears throat> yes, Lord. He says to me, Murray, are you a son or are you an orphan? <laughs> I'm an orphan. I'm behaving like an orphan, but I'm a son. I'm so sorry. And all the thought of prophetic words just went away. Because what the father was doing through all of that squeeze was he was helping me to learn that he loves me unconditionally. Because once I know that, I've said it before, but Jesus' relationship with his father was enough to change the world. I need to, you know, we all need to know who we are in Christ. We all need to know who the Father is for us and that he loves us unconditionally, that we live in his smile, that we are his happy thought, that every inclination of his heart towards us is good because I didn't understand that. So we, like, just like uh, Colleen was saying, you know, that we, there was revelation that the Lord needed to bring so that it would anchor me into his love so that I didn't have to perform or earn or fight or, you know, jostle for position or try and put someone down because of other things that were going, you know, because of my own insecurity. That when I could learn, and I would love to say I'm fully there, but I don't know I'm quite there yet. But when I learned that I'm fully loved by the Father and I'm now in Christ Jesus and he loves me for who I am and he's called me in spite of myself and he's making a way. Once we get that, everything changes. And so for me, that squeeze was about learning to get rid of or to, for the Lord to kill pride, to help me with my identity, to make me secure in his love, to make me realize that man can't thwart God's plan, that he alone can do it. 
And I would not have learned that without the squeeze. Isabel Allen prophesied over us in, 20, in 2008, Ash and I. She said, you've been through a very difficult season. And I was, I was like, we got a call to go, come here. And then I started working 80 hour weeks. And we couldn't get a visa and there was no way. What's going to happen? How are we going to get through? And, you know, it just became tighter in this squeeze. And she said, you've been through this difficult season, but you're going to look back on it and it's going to be one of the best times of your life. And it's true because there's been enlargement in the narrow place. The problem is for most of us that we kick and scream and shout and holler and think, oh God, where are you? Why don't you love me? Why, are you, why am I going through all of this? I need to curse the enemy or something. It's all his fault. But actually the Lord allows those squeezes in our lives to bring us through to a place of maturity because what he's doing is he's training us for the mission and the purpose that he has for us. Without Potiphar and the prison, Joseph could never have ruled in the palace. Without all that you're going through, now sometimes we go through things through our own silly mistakes, right? I probably could have killed pride earlier and had a much happier time, but I didn't, right? Sometimes we suffer for our mistakes, but even our mistakes, the Lord promises to make it turn it out for good. And we step in because his purpose is we have a destiny and a part to play in his greater, in his greater kingdom. The second thing I want to say is, and you know, what I was learning in this, in my season, and what Joseph learned is that the favor of God doesn't, isn't dictated to by your circumstances. The Lord, because we're now in Christ Jesus, the Lord favors us. There's just no two ways about it. It's, it's not fair. I think I heard Bishop Joseph Garlington say, favor isn't fair. It's not fair. We don't deserve it, but the Father, because we're in Christ Jesus, is favoring us. He's pouring out his favor upon us. And as I said before, the call that we have, that Abraham had, that we would be a blessing, and that we would be blessed and therefore be a blessing to all the nations, his favor is upon us to release to those around us. The problem is his favor doesn't always look like favor. Right? Sometimes a favor, sometimes it look, we're, we're so focused on the worldly things and the things around us that we look at our circumstances, we look at the prison, we look at the chains, we look at the shackles, we look at the circumstances of the, 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 the difficult things that we find ourselves in, right? Not literal chains, but chains of circumstances, having to work 80 hours a week, whatever it might be, like difficulty and challenge. And we see that, and if we don't have the right perspective, we actually see that as a, as a, as a negative, and we actually bypass the favor that the Lord wants to release. Because Joseph, even though he was a slave, God prospered him. Even though he was in the prison, God prospered him. The mark of his life was that God was with him. And everything that he did succeeded because God was with him. God, the Bible says that God caused him to succeed. And at some point in the end of his life, he was able to say, God didn't, you know, you didn't send me here, God sent me here. He was, he was, he had that understanding or he just lived in it, even if he didn't have the understanding of the favor and the blessing of God upon him. And we can look at our circumstances and we can get snared and we can get fouled up with our circumstances but because, and we look at the fact that maybe life isn't a bed of roses or we're squeezed and we're in difficulty. We forget that he's training our hands for war. He's, we forget that he's helping us to be an overcomer. And we forget that we're living in favor despite of our circumstances. And we can sabotage the favor of God through, the own, through our own issues of the heart and our inability to see what God is doing. 
what we don't have, what has happened to us, what we've experienced, the hurts, the challenges, the pain, and be so focused on the negative. Sure, we need to work through those things in our hearts, but in the squeeze, God's favouring you. In fact, favour comes in the squeeze. And God's desire for each of us, God's desire for you is to pour out, pour out his favour upon you in such an unprecedented measure. And he's already doing this, by the way. To pour out his favour upon you that despite your circumstances, despite my circumstances, despite the process that God has us in, he's actually causing favour to be come through us so those around us are blessed. My hope and my desire is that if you, because of the favour of God upon you, your work prospers. Because of the favour of God upon you in your classroom, your whole classroom prospers. Because of the favour of God upon you, your boss prospers. And that if you were to disappear, favour would go with you and they would suddenly wonder, hey, why have things taken a turn for the worse? Because you're, then they realise you're not here. Right? That's the favour that God wants to release upon you. That's the favour that you carry. That's the anointing from heaven that you carry that you, we, we are able to bring the life of heaven and the joy of heaven. Because here's the thing. We have the, the you know, Joseph to me is a, is a, is a type of Christ. You can parallel everything that happened to Joseph pretty much happened to Christ in one, some way or another. He's the one, Jesus is the one that's overcome. Jesus is the one that has walked in the favour of, of, he's became the slave for all that we might enter into his freedom. And he now, we now live in his favour, seated with Christ in heavenly places is what Ephesians 2 tells us, right? We live, we're, the call for us is to live from heaven to earth, to release what God is doing, what God has in the, in the, in the, in the supernatural and the heavenlies into the earth realm and not to be consumed by our circumstances, but to be consumed by what God is doing and to release that and you carry that anointing and, 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 the, and the true Joseph, Jesus, is on the inside of you. It's not just like somewhere over there hoping that we're going to get it right. Please don't hear a message like this where you feel like God's tapping his fingers and going, come on, hurry up, do something. I need you to get this right. This is not about our self-effort. The gospel isn't Jesus has done something amazing for you, now go and live up to it. The, amazing, the gospel is Jesus has done something amazing for you, you are now in Christ Jesus, now you get to live that way. You don't, it's not like you have to try and attain his favour, right? You already have his favour. And the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you actually is prospering you, favouring you. And the blessing of God that he wants to release through you is to bring about the transformation of those around you. We just have to deal with the issues of the heart. We have to allow the Holy Spirit. We have to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what is stopping? What's stopping me? Why am I here? What's, what do I need to do to get here? What do you want to teach me? What do I need to let go of? What hurts am I holding on to? What things am I doing? Lord, help me because I want to step into the fullness of the destiny that you have for us. So I just want to appeal to you. Embrace the process. Allow him to train your hands for war. In fact, I want you to, I'm going to quickly turn to, to Psalm, 40, uh, Psalm 18.
Psalm 18. In fact, I'm going to start in verse 31. I want to finish with this. For who is the God but the Lord, and who is a rock except our God, the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless? Verse 33. He made my feet like the, like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights, or at translations actually can say, he set me secure on my heights. The Lord has heights for you to walk on. He's making your feet like the feet of a deer. He's using the process of your life to train you for that. And then he goes on to the next verse, 34. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have, made, you have given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand supported me and your gentleness has made me great. Oh, I love that. I love that. It's God's gentleness. It's God's kindness to us that leads us through what feels like a squeeze. It leads us through the narrow place. But in the narrow place, we get the enlargement. And in the enlargement, we, it's the gentleness of the Lord that's leading us and guiding us and, and helping us. And he's always of ever-present help in times of trouble. And so for some of us here, I know that there's, we've been going through squeezes and difficulties. And I, I want to just take a moment. I want you to close your eyes for a minute, please. I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you about the circumstances of your life. The, the, for some of you, you're in a squeeze right now. And you feel under pressure under pressure from relationships, under pressure from your job, under pressure from things that don't seem to be going well. For some of you, you've had a season in your past where you still can't make sense of what was going on and what God was doing. And I want you just to take a moment and talk to the Holy Spirit about that. And ask Him for forgiveness for every way you haven't had eyes to see what He was doing in every way, you've questioned whether he's with you or not. And just ask the Holy Spirit for forgiveness. He's faithful and just and will cleanse us from all of our sins. Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. And just ask the Holy Spirit, help me, Lord, I'm so sorry for the way that I have run around like a headless chicken in the squeeze questioning your love, whatever it might be. And then just ask the Holy Spirit to speak hope to your heart. I want to I release hope right now. There's the Holy Spirit brooding over each one of us. He's releasing hope into your heart. And what he said will come to pass. And I want to release faith, the faith of Abraham. Romans chapter 4 says of Abraham that in hope against all hope, he believed God. He recognized his circumstances were not good. He recognized that Sarah's womb was barren, but yet he still trusted God, believing that what God had said, he would come to pass. And I want you to take a moment just to thank the Lord for his care and his gentleness and allow him and, and, and just thank him for his care of you. It says of Abraham that he was strengthened in his faith as he gave glory to God. 
Take a moment, give glory to God in your life for all of your circumstances, all of the challenges. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And then just put your hand over your heart if you would like to. And just make a declaration and a confession over yourself. I am favored. I am blessed. The blessing of Abraham is upon me because of the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. Thank you for your favor, Lord.